0: On today's show,
1: if I were to ask the question, what do you think is the most important thing happening in the world today? A lot of people would say, you know, what's happening in Ukraine or political trends and so forth. My answer to that is the gospel is going Mm -hmm. out.
0: Stay tuned.
1: And welcome to The Missions
0: Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, here again from ABWE, Director of Communications and Media, and joined, as always, by Scott Dunford, who's the pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Scott, our listeners have waited a long week since our last episode, but for us, just a few minutes have passed since our incredible conversation With Brian Fickert that we just got off the line with talking about when helping hurts. That was an incredible conversation. And I'm excited to be having another conversation right now with another expert in his field with an incredible background, I'm told.
2: Yes. So uh, we're very excited and uh, encouraged to be able to welcome Uh, the president of Pioneers, who most of our listeners are very familiar with, Steve Richardson. He's also the author of a new book, Is the Great Commission Still Great? So welcome, Steve, to the show. Is the commission still great, right? Is the commission still great?
1: Correct. Here it is. So you don't totally give away the answer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, kind of of leave the ball in your court to uh, decide if you agree or not.
2: We want to be super edgy and just ask you the question, is the commission still great? That's the that's the question on the table. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in in missions, and why you'd particularly write a book that, that, that seems to have the answer obviously still baked into the title.
1: So yeah, thanks, Scott. I got hauled kicking and screaming off to the jungle when I was six months old. We left on a ship from Vancouver and found ourselves a few weeks later <laughs> in a tribe of cannibal headhunters. And uh, I had the privilege of growing up there, speaking their language, maybe even better than I spoke English mm. because only mom and dad spoke English. And I had a front row seat to seeing their treachery idealizing culture transformed by the power of the gospel, Romans 1.16. And uh, when I say treachery idealizing, if anyone's familiar with my father's missions classic peace child, the Sawi people actually thought that Judas was the hero of the gospel mm. story, the, the story of Jesus. They said, tell us more about Judas. <laughs> and my dad said, wait a minute, you mean Jesus, as he was learning the language there. And they said, no, Judas, he sounds like one of us. And come to find out, they actually had a, a practice of betraying, you know, people that they'd befriended from other cultures to death, you know, at a moment of truth. And mom and dad knew they had a cross-cultural communication challenge on their hands. And the breakthrough came later when he insisted they make peace. And the only way they knew how to make peace was to actually give one of their own children over to the enemy. And dad said, are they going to hurt that little boy? And they said, no, because the peace will only last as long as he lives. Hmm. And they had a term for this, you know, Tarop team, the, the peace child. So we went back in to that same smoky manhouse and started in the gospel story again, this time mentioning that Jesus was God's peace child, wondering if it was going to make any difference. And sure enough, there was no laughter and joking this time. One of the men in the back said, wait a minute, are you saying Jesus was our creator's peace child? And dad said, yes. He said, why didn't you tell us that the first time? (laughs) He said, I didn't realize it was that important. They said, it makes all the difference in the world. You're never allowed to harm a peace child. So anyway, mom and dad realized this was a key that God had planted in their culture for who knows how many centuries that had been sort of waiting mm-hmm. there to be triggered by the arrival of gospel emissaries. And as a kid growing up, my first 15 years, just to see the impact of the, of the gospel on their, I didn't, I didn't have to be convinced of of the power of the message of salvation in Jesus. I was
0: getting ready for the part of the story where they gave you to the tribesmen in order to maintain their uh, status in the village, but I'm glad it didn't take that turn.
1: So, Alex, when mom and dad first arrived in the canoe as the sun was setting and there were 400 fully armed warriors on the bank waiting to welcome us, dad picked me up out of my mother's arms, and she followed as they went up, slipping and sliding through the mud. Not realizing that in their culture, this, this was actually a, a play on that same theme. And, and there is, you wow. know, you we're laughing about it, but I, I used to remind my parents, you actually owe me something. Wow.
2: Well, that, that book is obviously a classic, and probably most of our listeners, if, if they haven't read it, they've heard the story. So that, that's an amazing introduction to this whole topic of the Great Commission.
1: And so what, what caused you to write this book? There are different threads, but the main one that comes to mind, quite a few years ago, I was speaking at a church outside Philadelphia. And I I was sharing in that particular message about the amazing impact of the gospel, just like I've shared with you about one particular group, but all around the world. And an elderly lady came up to me afterward, and she literally had tears uh, on her cheeks. And she said, you know, I've been giving and praying faithfully for a long time. And I really have wondered if it was making any difference, but I felt like God was speaking to me today and saying, yes, it's making a big difference. So I thought to myself, you know, I wonder how many other people are being faithful, but they're entertaining questions like that, because she had obviously been wondering, is this really making, is this worth Mm -hmm. it? So I started collecting misperceptions about missions. Yeah. Tell us what some of those are. So uh, one of them is that missions is kind of a side salad. It's not the main course. This is what I would call the wellspring of the whole thing. So many people think that missions is a good thing, but it's, it's just one good option among many. And if, if you ask them, okay, where's missions in the Bible, they may mention the Great Commission— Although apparently, according to Barna, 51% of churchgoers have no clue what you're talking about when you say the Great Mm, Commission. And another 37% have very little idea what you're talking about. But they don't realize it actually starts all the way back in the beginning. It's woven through the whole of Scripture. And so that's one. It's just that whole underlying sense of the importance. And, And a lot of Christians live as if nothing important happened between the resurrection and the ascension when actually Jesus met with different combinations of people on at least five different occasions. And when he gave the Great Commission on that mountain in Galilee, I think probably that's the occasion that Paul is referring to in First Corinthians 15, where he he gave it to 500 people, mm-hmm. not just 11 people. So anyway, that's, that's one. Another, there's eight of these myths. One is that it's harmful. We hear that accusation mm-hmm. a lot, you know, in tribal ministry. You this is a form of Western imperialism. Another one is that Western missionaries are obsolete, and they're not needed anymore. And 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 really, the kernel of truth there is that missionaries have been so successful, right. and there are now believers and hmm. churches all around the hmm. world. There are these huge empty spots, you know, spiritually speaking on the map. But in a way, people who buy into this particular misperception are saying missionaries have been so successful that we can now afford to not send them anymore. Right. Or they might be saying, you know, we have to do it other ways, and we're not going to send our flesh and blood anymore. And then, you know, another one is just that it's been on—it's been a failure. We're not keeping up with the growth in world population. Places like Europe and even America are secular, secularizing at such a pace that you know, it's, we're, we're really not being successful. So those are just a few samples. So you, you mentioned that there's a kernel of truth
2: in some of these myths. What are are we supposed to do with that? Like, what do we do with the the truth behind some of these hard realities or or hard questions that people putting around missions?
1: Yeah, Scott, the, the thing is, these things wouldn't be believable if there wasn't some sense of, okay, you know, that makes some sense and i th- i think you know there's this ancient chinese philosopher we've probably all heard of sun tzu and he said the supreme art of war is to win without fighting basically so essentially it's to convince it's it's through information propaganda and if you get get your enemy to just surrender without actually fighting a battle you've you've done a really good mm. job so i think with these kernels of truth we need to make sure that we we look at what they are. We think well about them. Like, for example, one of, the, one of the perceptions in the book is missions is now about short-term. It's all short-term. And, you know, about, I've, I've heard that about $4 billion is spent.
0: Oh, yeah, it's something exorbitant like that.
1: It's a huge amount, you know, especially pre-pandemic. Yeah. And that's good. I, I mean, I'm not opposed to short-term. I'm all for short-term. And I think that's a big part of what we do from the West. But how do you do that well? And should it be done in combination with actual long-term strategies? And how, what does that look like? So, yeah, I think, I think probably, Scott, acknowledge, look for the kernel of truth. Acknowledge it. Don't I mean, we don't want to set up, set up straw men. Yeah. And I think that's one thing people have appreciated about this book is the, as they're reading it, they're not feeling like, oh, he set up a straw man and then, you know, knocked it down.
0: I appreciate yeah. that because obviously if, if the book was written in such a way where, well, obviously missions is biblical and you're stupid for questioning it, <laughs> you would have a limited audience. But the fact that you're at <laughs> least trying to acknowledge maybe there's a kernel of truth in some of these objectives, but here's what scripture lays out for us. So uh, well done in that regard. And one of the things that you've been doing in your leadership of, of Pioneers, obviously Pioneers has focused on unreached people groups for a long time. How do you see the landscape of missions changing over the last few decades? Because I'm hearing people even speak a little bit less about unreached people groups, a little bit more about unreached or or least reached language groups and wanting to make distinctions there and not split people up so narrowly along, you know, maybe ethnic lines and things like that. But what trends do you see in missions right now? And how do you address some of those in the book?
1: As far as I'm concerned, it's all hands on deck. And all strategies pursued if God is is laying on a, a particular person's or a pers- particular church's heart, a particular niche in the big picture. I mean, there are various mandates that Jesus said. He's not willing that any should perish. He's concerned about every individual. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We want the gospel everywhere. Now with pioneers and, and some other groups, our emphasis is on those unique really challenging cross-cultural hurdles that I think are actually much more valid today than many. You know, we we tend to be fairly faddish. Some would say this is a fad, but I would say, you know, hang in there and keep moving because with with 7,000 unreached people groups, and we can disagree about how to define them. I'm I'm not really personally that concerned about airtight definitions. But with, you know, they say 5,000 of those are less than 0.1% Christian. It's like there is so much yet to be done. So I would say, yeah, I mean, the kingdom of God is a big thing. And the church, obviously, we're, we're talking about more believers potentially in China today than there mm-hmm. are here in the U.S. Nine of the 10 large countries having the largest evangelical populations are in the global south. So things are changing, and it's all about partnership. These days, even if you're still playing a pioneering role somewhere, the more it can be be done in partnership with other dimensions of the body of Christ, the better.
2: So obviously, we feel honored to be able to have you on our show. And it's very, very rare that we get a chance to sit down with a mission president of one of the larger missions uh, that's doing work amongst unreached peoples. So I'm, I'm just curious, from your perspective as a leader, as someone who's engaging What's happening around the world? Who's hearing missionaries and working with your leadership and engaging with what's happening in the global church? What as you look down the road, and and I I realize this is probably not something your book talked about, but hey, we only get one shot at you. So as you look (laughs) down the road, you know what are some of the things as a leader that you're saying? Hey, these are some challenges that are probably going to be coming up in the next twenty years, or or what do you see as, as as some of the the unique things that church leaders and pastors like myself should be thinking about as we're preparing the next generation of missionaries to go out. What do you see coming on the horizon that we should be aware of?
1: Yeah. Well, Scott, you're very, very gracious and complimentary. Thank you. I'm not sure I have quite the handle that some people think I have, but it's a fast changing landscape. Praise God. And, you know, obviously, you know, if I were to ask the question, what do you think is the most important thing happening in the world today? A lot of people would say, "You know what's happening in Ukraine or political trends and so forth. My answer to that is the gospel is going out you know matthew twenty four fourteen but one of the things I think and it partly depends on whether we're we're narrowing this to you know the the role of the Western Church in that bigger globalizing picture, but one of the things is how can we get mission movements going in other countries and I think You know, historically, one of the the mistakes that was sometimes made was that, you know, as missionaries arrived in different places and they put the hand to the plow and got into the work, learned the languages and so forth, they didn't really go full cycle Mm. to see these churches really reaching out Mm cross-culturally and going the distance Mm -hmm. even to other Mm -hmm. places. And I think that's one of the huge contributions we can be making. Mm. And uh, the backdrop to that is, yeah, I'm a strong proponent of continuing to send people and churches having some flesh and blood in the game because I think that if we don't it'll it won't be long before we're not giving each other either. Right. And it probably won't be that long before we're not praying either. So I think obeying the command to be going is important, but we need to be looking quite closely at what are the roles? What are our best contributions? And and I think, you know, for us particularly from North America, those could be in the area of networking, of encouraging, of resourcing. And obviously, that probably relates to your prior discussion. Mm-hmm. It's not just financial, but it's training mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things. It's creative thinking. It's the application of technology to the task. You know, I think that the world, that the world population is in for more tidal waves of unexpected events and I think we need to keep being faithful keep being versatile we're not that big into real long-term strategies other than the the great commission and gospel proclamation mm-hmm. and church planning itself mm-hmm. because you really don't know what the what things are going to look like three or four years down the road i would say too that you know we need to read back 500 years ago we had the reformation the the rediscovery of the priesthood of the believer we're in an age where almost anybody has access to participate meaningfully in, in strategic ways in fulfilling the Great Commission, no matter where you are. So I, I'm i praying and working and hoping this book will be a contributor to the idea of kind of a second reformation. That sounds a bit grandiose, but a rediscovery of the missionhood of the believer and that all of us have been given a charge to participate and that you and I live in a sense, the most privileged era in gospel terminology. Those are a
0: few ideas. Well, one thing that you're also involved in, obviously not, not only your past background, as a mission president now, you're thinking a little bit about the future. You talked about some of that. In our last episode, our conversation with Brian Fickert, One thing that he brought up was the local church. We were talking about poverty, and he said, hey, everything's got to happen, relief efforts, all those sorts of things through the local church. Now, I really enjoyed hearing that from him. Then we started talking about parachurch agencies, and yes, they have a value and a benefit. I'm here broadcasting from ABWE. You're coming from Pioneers. So there's a real benefit to the mission agency. Uh, But what about the local church? What do you want to see in the years ahead as president of your organization in terms of partnership with the local church? And how do you want to engage pastors? How do you want pastors to view mission agencies?
1: I think we need to get beyond seeing it as an us versus them type dynamic. And, you know, organizations like yours and ours Really, one way I describe pioneers is it's an answer to the question, what would it look like for 3,000 churches in Mm. the U.S. and thousands more in other countries to partner together to see the gospel proclaimed in least reached areas? This is an answer to that Mm. question. And anytime you're going to get partnerships among multiple churches, you're going to form a denomination or you're going to form some kind of an association, a cooperative effort. These are good things. So, yeah, my vision would be, and partnership with the local church, both on the sending side of the equation as well as on the receiving side, is one of our core values. And our heart is to see churches equipped and to help connect the dots between the churches who have the passion and the calling and the resources and the people and the needs in the field. And to make those pathways as smooth and as effective as possible. On the receiving end, yes, partnering with, I mean, we, we partnered, my wife and I were in a major Southeast Asian country. And our strategy was to partner with 30 denominations there hmm. to help them develop mission vision hmm. for the remaining 127 unreached people groups in their country. And it was phenomenal to see the resources and the vision and the excitement that were unleashed, you know, over time. It wasn't an easy task, but so whether it's the churches, the mega churches in other countries, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Korea was considered unwinnable,
0: mm.
1: <laughs> impenetrable, yeah. they called a it.
0: good reminder. You
1: know, there's a whole graveyard in the city of Seoul of 500 missionaries giving their lives with very little fruit. And today there are 7,000 churches in the city of Seoul alone. And there's one church we're aware of there that has sent more than— 70 fully supported missionaries just from their own congregation. So yeah, here in the U.S., we do it in all kinds of ways. We're producing resources. We have what we call church partner forums. We pay for their time here with us. We have 50 of them coming here in November. Pastors, mission committee people, they roll up their sleeves. They meet others. You know, it's interesting how many church missions committees and pastors are relatively isolated, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to missions. And they're not they don't have opportunities to rub shoulders with mission leaders in other churches and compare notes and what's working. And one piece of advice too, Alex or Scott, that that I would give is, write it into your pastor's job description to take an overseas trip, mm. take an international trip at least every two years, preferably every year, because if if the pastor and the leadership of a local congregation can model and can eat and breathe. The Great Commission, God's passion for the world, it has an exponential effect on the culture of of the church.
2: Yeah, I've seen that just even recently. A a friend of mine is a pastor in Michigan and, and he took a trip to Cameroon and got excited about what was happening there and then created a whole partnership with his missionary. And now our church over here in California, who's got a connection to a church in the Central African Republic, has gotten excited about that, and now their church is supporting one of uh, the Central Africans to come to the seminary in Cameroon, and just it, it all started from just a couple of pastors. Our pastor went on a trip, you know, he was raised in Central African Republic. One of our pastors, but but these these two pastors getting involved in these trips has have, have started out a whole thing that has been very exciting to, to to watch and from a distance, and and now being able to participate in it. So I, I couldn't agree with what you said more. Yeah,
1: it's super strategic.
2: You know, I have the privilege of knowing a lot of missionaries, and uh, some of my great friends, people that I worked with personally in the field, were with were with pioneers, and uh, some of the best yeah. missionaries I've, I know, and I still we're still close to them. So, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about what are some of the things that are going on right now, just from your perspective in in missions, from your angle as president of Pioneers. What are some of the things that are going on in your little corner of the missions world that excite you that you wish everyone knew about?
1: Yeah, thanks Scott and we we have many close relationships with uh, your cohort, your organization as well. It's 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 all hands on deck as I said. It's just fantastic. So, we have currently 80 passport countries represented in Pioneers. Uh we've got something over 3,000 actual members of which about 1800 are from the US. So the rest of them are from all kinds of different countries, and there are quite a few teams around the world that have three or four different nationalities on the teams. I'm sure that
2: creates its own unique challenges, too.
1: Yeah, it does. And it's sometimes people wonder if it's if it's worth all the added (laughs) layers of complexity. And these these conversations come up frequently, uh, especially in security sensitive environments where you're not necessarily wanting people to know you're all part of Mm the team anyway. Mm But anyway, we believe that this is part of mobilizing the whole body of Christ. I'm excited about doing the hard work as Jesus said, others have done the hard work. What what is that hard work today? And you know, people have talked about go where God is is working and you know, reap the harvest. But what about the places where God wants to work 20 or 30 years from Mm. now? And we need people sowing those seeds now. You know, we've had we've had a lot of people in Afghanistan. Several of them are, have now moved, for example, to Greece or other parts of Europe, and they're saying that one in 10 Afghans that arrives there is coming to saving faith in Jesus, wow. which, you know, that historically, that's, that's a phenomenal percentage. You know, uh, what God is doing in the Iranian church, who would have thought that the Ayatollah Khomeini would be God's instrument? <laughs> I think there were four or five hundred Muslim background believers, you know, back in 1979. Today, they're saying there may be as many as a million. Mm. There are like six Persian-speaking churches in the city of Seoul, Korea alone. I just, just heard about a Korean missionary with an American organization that just baptized 80 Afghans in Jakarta. So, I mean, that's, like, that's, that's a great little snapshot Beautiful. of the wow. globalized world today. And we're tackling financial, you know, how, how, can we, how can we help financially the global picture without undermining the grace of giving and the process of learning the disciplines that need to be learned? And these things are really challenging. They're not necessarily new issues. Right. I think a lot of the issues we're grappling with have actually been with us for quite a mm-hmm. while. Well, Steve, how can people get a hold of the book and how can they hear more from
0: you and from your organization? And we're so grateful for it. This sounds like it's a just a good book to kind of put into the hands of somebody that's approaching missions, maybe a little bit skeptical, maybe a parent whose child is serving and it's like, oh, is this missions thing really a thing? Sounds like a good book for that kind of person. So how can they get their hands on it?
1: So it's published by Moody and it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Pioneers.org backslash myths is a website that's going live shortly, and there's going to be all kinds of resources there. So, my hope and prayer is that this book will be used by small groups and churches all mm. across the country to stimulate conversations. And I don't expect people to necessarily agree with me on all these points. That's fine. But if it can stimulate, con- this can be a phenomenal tool to help pastors. And missions committee people to get conversations going about global, you know, missions in in today's world. So that that website, I think pioneers.org backslash myths will be there's videos of me on there. I'm willing to talk to the small group, you know, time permitting Mm -hmm. could be a lot of fun. It's wonderful.
0: That's excellent. Yes. And the Great Commission is great. It's not the side salad. It's everything ultimately at the end of the day. Uh, because God is saving a people of every tribe and nation and tongue for his glory. So Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your heart. We're so grateful not only for you, but also for the whole organization that you serve and all the ways that missionaries are working hand in hand across the world from multiple different stripes, denominations, organizations, and we praise God for that. And we thank you for joining us today. You can get more of the missions podcast at missionspodcast.com. You can support us at missionspodcast.com slash support. And we value that greatly. That helps us get the this content out to where it needs to go and to benefit and upbuild God's people across the globe. Of course, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE, and to learn more about them, go to abwe.org. And while you're there, remember to leave a positive rating and review for this show in your podcast platform of choice that helps us get the content out again. And you can watch this show if you haven't already tried it out by going to the ABWE YouTube channel. So we encourage you to do so as well. And until next time, thank you for joining us.